Good evening. I think we're waiting a couple of classes that are still coming in, but welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. Thanks for um, taking time out just to be here uh, as we worship together, as we uh, commune with one another. Let us all stand as we worship this evening. It's good to have uh, Professor Joe Warrington with us this evening. He's professor of our pastoral ministries and Bible um, classes here at NBC. Let's welcome him. He's going to be bringing us the word this evening. Isaiah chapter 40, it reads, it says, Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary, he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases power of the weak. In the end of the verse 31, it says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And we believe that and we're thankful that we serve a God who is an everlasting God. Let us worship this evening. Remain standing as we pray. Let us pray. <laughs> Jesus, there is so much beauty in you, and so much love, and so much grace. And Lord, we want to grow out of you, grow upon you, lean on you tonight, enjoy your presence. Thank you, Lord, for time here today, and we just pray that you would just be so real to us in our hearts tonight as we look to you. God's Son, Word become flesh, dwelt among us. Would you help us tonight? Whatever needs that might be among us, O oh God, would you meet those needs? Meet the deepest needs of a heart. So that we can settle any questions we may have in our relationship with you, with our call, and our response to that call. Have your way with us even now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As a boy, I used to get the thrill of my life when I would hear of a tropical storm or even a hurricane coming our way on our 25 miles by 50 mile wide island. 25 miles wide and 50 miles long. In the middle of two oceans, the Atlantic and the Caribbean. You see, I had never really experienced the devastation of any major storm growing up as a boy. All I knew was that the heavy winds would shake the fruit trees and all kinds of delicious tropical fruits would be on the ground just waiting for the picking. My rude awakening <clears throat> of a, the force and deadliness of hurricanes occurred when I was in my mid-twenties and in seminary in Mississippi. And uh, that was uh, 
1979, I remember taking a flight from Mississippi back home, taking a semester off to go help out. After Hurricane David had taken a swipe at my beloved little island. Scores of people were dead. The majority of the houses were either blown away or washed away by the torrential rain that accompanied the storm. It was reported that the winds peaked at about 250 miles per hour. And this, my friends, were no shaking the fruit trees kind of storm. It was a deadly killer. You are aware, I'm sure, of recent devastating storms and earthquakes of biblical proportions that have taken the lives of hundreds and thousands of people and caused billions of dollars of damages. Example, Katrina, not too long ago on the Gulf Coast. Earthquakes in, earthquake in Haiti. 230,000 were killed. Tsunamis in Indonesia and Japan in recent years where, again, hundreds of thousands. Tornado in Joplin, Missouri, not too long ago, and, and just a few months ago on the East Coast, Hurricane Sunday. And uh, we wonder what's happening. In our text today, the prophet Isaiah prophesies of the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem, a devastation that is so great, so heart-wrenching, that one wonders whether the people will survive. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It's a short chapter, just six verses. Actually, it should have been five. Verse one is really part of, verse of the last chapter, chapter three. But we'll include it in our reading tonight. In that day, that is the day of devastation, seven women will take hold of one man and say, we will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. All the men, most of the men in the city and in the country will be killed by swords. And so the women are left with one man, seven women. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But in that day, and here is the hope that turns this devastation around that I want us to capture tonight. The title of the message comes from verse 2. The branch of the Lord. The branch of the Lord. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. What will, what will they be called? Holy. holy. I, I want you to say that with me again. They will be called holy. holy. 
All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem, the Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and the spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. That reminds us of another occasion when that was used, wasn't it? A pillar cloud at the day and fire at night. Over everything the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. This is the word of the Lord. The, the long-term reign of King Uzziah, when Isaiah was writing this, had just come to an end. Uh, if you move fast forward in chapter 6, you will hear Isaiah say, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah had reigned for uh, quite a while, almost 50 years, uh, and brought prosperity and stability and, and peace to the nation. And in the midst of that, in the midst of their prosperity, they had failed to walk in the ways of the Lord. The people had become pompous. They had exploited the poor and, and had lost all spiritual connections with the Lord. And so judgment was going to come. They had lost their way. They had gone into idolatry. And, 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 and they, were, they had became, began to live wickedly and exploited and oppressed the poor. And it is because of the way they had lived that the prophet comes. And in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, it is a pronouncement of judgment upon them. But yet in the midst of this pronouncement of judgment, there is a silver lining in the cloud, in the dark clouds. And, and he brings the message of hope that the branch of the Lord will reign. You see, the, the lens of prophecy seemed to have a reach not only of the Babylonian exile, which was about uh, uh, close to them, but possibly also the destruction of Jerusalem itself in the year 70 AD. And so he is making preparations to share with them the glorious hope that will come in the midst of their calamity, in the midst of their devastation, that God would raise up a remnant and that he would clean them up so that they would really truly follow him in their lives. The first verse of this text we read, as I said, rightly belongs at the end of chapter 3, where the daughters of Zion were told of their judgment. And you could read in chapter 3 how the daughters of Zion behaved with their pride. And, and, uh, and so it says of them, they will take hold of one man and go after him, which is not the conventional way of trying to find a husband. 
Hello. As a result of the judgments of the Lord detailed in Isaiah chapter 3 verses 16 through 26, the daughters of Zion will have few men to choose from, from as husbands. So many of these men shall fall by the sword. Isaiah 3.25 That seven women chase after one man. They would, they would be so desperate for marriage that they, will that they will not expect their husbands to provide for them at all. In fact, they said, we will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Instead, it would be enough to simply take the name of the husband. What they're saying, just marry us and give us children so our reproach will be gone. The reproach of being unmarried and childless was a terrible thing for Jewish women. One of the concerns was that a scripture that was given by Moses way back in Genesis, the seed of the woman shall crush the serpent, Genesis 3.15, believed to be messianic, that every Jewish woman believed that maybe she would be that woman who would bear the seed of the Messiah, and so to have been barren and childless, unmarried, was a reproach. in a broader sense, in, as an aside, you don't have to pay for this one, this is free. It shows that it is not a good thing for women to be too desperate for marriage. If you have any single women here. Because they may marry unwisely and for the wrong reasons. And it is also a bad thing when women do not expect their husbands to provide for their household. Not a good thing. That was free. But let's come back to this branch. This branch of the Lord. In verse 2 of our text, the glorious hope of the branch of the Lord. The ideas behind the, the title branch of the Lord are those of fruitfulness and life. Jesus used the same image when he said that he was the vine and that we are the branches. John chapter 15 verse 5. In that day does not mean that the Messiah would appear when these judgments were taking place on the daughters of Zion. It means that the promise of the Messiah would be all the more beautiful and glorious to them in the midst of their suffering. And so it is for us. Zion, the people of God, will be under the reign, under the government of the branch of the Lord. He says, I want us to see some of the characteristics of this, this government, this reign of the branch. In verse 3, those who are left in Zion who remain in Jerusalem will be called holy. He will be called holy. Christ's holiness shall be both imputed and imparted unto us, unto them. He shall both expiate their sins and heal their natures, pay their debts and give them a stock of grace and holiness, so that men shall call them a holy people. The people that once were unholy and filthy, 
and pompous. There will be a renovation taking place, a cleansing. And they will be called holy. Holy does not mean super spiritual. It does not mean that, it, is, it does not mean sinless perfection. It does not mean spiritually superior or obnoxious. It means a life, a heart, a mind, and a body that is genuinely set apart for God's use. It is the life lived apart from the thinking and the heart of this world and the flesh and the devil. It is a life lived in the Lord. The branch is Jesus in this. This is a messianic text. This is a text about the Messiah. In verses 4 through 6, we see some more characteristics of this, of the people who are under the control of the branch. And the first one is that of, of purging, of purging, verses 4 through 6. The holy people will be holy because they've been purified, they've been purged by Christ. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above all assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a shelter from a storm and rain. God's presence and God's protection. So first there is his purging, the cleansing power of Christ. The Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion when the branch of the Lord reigns. There will be cleansing. The cleansing will not come easily. As the text says, it will come by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. He will burn away the dross. He will burn away all that does not belong to the hearts of his people. Sin, someone says, is the excrement of the soul. The superfluity or garbage of naughtiness, the devil's vomit. From this abominable filth, Christ have loved and washed his own with his blood that he may make them kings and priests unto God and unto the Father. That's what he wants to do for his church, not only then, but now. He not only washes his people from their sins, but he taketh away their swinish nature. I grew up in a village where pigs were raised around. Every household had one or two, three pigs that they raised uh, and they would prepare them ready to butcher them at Christmas or Easter time. These were the two high holidays where you had meat in abundance. And uh, you get to know the nature of pigs very well when you, they, they're all around the place. And, and I remember some years ago when I came to the United States, I saw some folks had pigs, little pot-bellied pigs as pets. And they'd clean them up and 
They, some of them had little bows and little suits they had on them. They kept them on the inside of their homes. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember that. Little pot-bellied pig pets. But one thing I found out is when those little pigs would get out of the house in the clean environment and they went outside and they found some puddles of water and dirt, they didn't say, oh, I am an inside the house pet. I dare not touch or go in this dirty, muddy puddle. Their nature was to go in and wallow in the puddle. Oh, I tell you, friends, Jesus wants to cleanse us from our swinish nature to sin and de-sin us and cleanse us so that we can serve him and love him with all of our hearts. Where there were where else he wants to take away this swinish nature whereby we would, we would return to our former, uh, no longer returning to our former way of life and thinking and living. He wants to cleanse us, his purging. And it is the resurrected Jesus who sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that came through and began the purging of the disciples and others in the upper room. Do you recall Acts chapter 2? I have a feeling Peter must have looked to John and said, Johnny, your head is on fire. And Johnny says, no, Pete, it's my heart. God was cleansing their hearts. Peter said it in Acts 15, verse 9. He did for them what he did for us. He purified their hearts by faith. The branch, the Lord Jesus, will purge, but we will also experience his presence. This cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. When the branch of the Lord reigns, there will be the tangible presence of the Lord. They saw it when they came out of Egypt on their way through the wilderness heading towards Canaan. There was a cloud of smoke that hovered over them. It reminded them of the divine presence with them. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stopped, they encamped, they stopped. God was near to them. And time again he would come, especially I'm thinking of the day that Solomon had finished the temple and they were getting ready to dedicate the temple to the Lord. And while they were in the midst of that dedication, that smoke came again. <clears throat> the glory of the Lord came in the temple. And I believe folks were shouting, as the Shekinah presence and glory and sweetness and beauty of the divine descended upon them and they began to praise God and to worship him. God wants to do that for us. There's a preacher I like to listen to. His name is Jack Hayford. He, for a long time, was the pastor of the church on the way. 
in Van Nuys, California. He tells the story of a Saturday afternoon. He was in his study at the church, just preparing for the next day and praying and trusting the Lord. And he said he went, left his study, went into the sanctuary to start praying for the pews, folks that would occupy the pews the next morning, start praying around it. And he said all of a sudden, he looked up in the ceiling area of the sanctuary and there was a misty smoke just hovering over that sanctuary. He thought at first it must have been the Los Angeles smog that had just filtered in. But the more he looked at this thing and he felt the presence of God come and settled on him. He said that was the turning point in that ministry. The next day, the attendance tripled. Folks started coming. The church now has thousands of people. But he marked this as a point where the glory of God came. He's the author of that song, Majesty, that we sang, Jack Hayford. And he's written 6,000 other songs and hymns. God has used him as the glory of God. Not only filled his heart, but empowered him and give him, gave him some new energy for his mission. Oh, the presence of God. The branch of the Lord reigns. There will be the tangible presence of the Lord just as in the days of Exodus. God will be as real as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Not only will there be purging in the presence, but there will be protection. And there will be a tabernacle or shade, a place of refuge. And for a shelter from the storm, the text says. You see, when the branch of the Lord reigns, there will be protection from the from the Lord. The Lord's people will be safe and secure, washed and in his abiding presence. Nothing is more necessary than that we follow our calling and perform our, our calling or duty faithfully. God wants to do that for us. You see, the branch we've been talking about this evening became beautiful being laden with fruits of divine grace such as righteousness and reconciliation, peace and pardon and adoption, sanctification and eternal life. He has all his people as branches growing on him and receiving their life and fruitfulness from him and, and, and it is glorious. Jesus is the branch. We learn about it in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. He is mentioned, a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. A branch from the roots will bear fruit. Jeremiah echoed the same thing. In Jeremiah 23 verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. Zechariah the prophet picked it up in chapter 3 and verse 8. We, we, we also read, now listen, Joshua the priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you. Indeed, there are men who are for, behold, I am going to bring in my servant the branch. 
And then Matthew. Matthew in the New Testament. When Joseph and Mary were taking the little infant boy back from Egypt, back to Palestine, Matthew in chapter 2 and verse 23 says, And came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill that what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. A Nazarene from the Hebrew Nazar, which means branch, a stump. To be called a Nazarene is not a compliment. It's a shoot, a stump. But it is Jesus who God will raise from the cut-down dynasty of David when they were carried away into exile and the end of the Davidic kingdom. And the stump was cut, the tree was cut down. But out of the stump that was left in the ground, a shoot will rise. And that's the branch from the tribe of Judah. And he is Jesus. Jesus is the branch made strong to do the work of the Lord by the obedience and death. He became glorious, was raised from the dead when he ascended up to heaven and exalted at the right hand of God. He was made glorious in just a couple months. Some of you will be heading out of here to join the branch in his grand, glorious mission. He has called you and you've responded. And yet you're wondering, am I up to the challenges of ministry? Do I have what it takes to engage a world that is teetering on the edge of the abyss? Can I bring comfort to a hurting world? Can I help God's people stay the course and live lives that are pleasing to Him? The answer, my friends, is yes. But you must allow him to purge you and allow him to sanctify you through and through. You have the promise of his presence and his protection. Follow the branch. Follow Jesus. Out of Nazarene Bible College into the place of service. Purged. Filled with his spirit. And protected by his love. Yes, there was devastation ahead for the Judeans. But the, psalmist, or the, the prophet saw the silver lining of the branch. It is like the smoke of old and the pillar of old. And it is for you and for me tonight. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Pray that you would go with us tonight. Let no one live here that's not purged. And, and clothed by you with your presence. O oh God, lead us, O oh thou King Eternal, and guide us into not only today but into tomorrow. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I have taken you a little longer than I had planned to, but God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord.